morning and welcome. I hope everybody knows where they are today. Uh, <laughs> someone told me there's no telling what I'd say when I got up here, and you know, they're probably right. Uh, last week I forgot to tell you about this form to sign up for the small group ministry. It starts on January 15th. We have some groups that meet here at the church that are still open, and that would be Sunday nights from 6 30 to 8 o'clock, and we also have an open group on Wednesday from 6.30 to 8 o'clock. Um, I'd like to invite um, Phil Hansen to come up and talk about uh, the uh, open study we have on survey, and then after that, one of our small group committee members is going to come up. I have an important announcement that you need to listen to. And uh, have you ever been to Camp Lejeune and drank the water there? <laughs> oh, wait, that's wrong, wrong script, wrong script. I, 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 they hand me these scripts, and I just sometimes they give me the wrong ones. But anyway, uh, I too want to encourage everyone to sign up for one of the small groups. If you've never been part of a small group or discipleship class, as we used to call them, uh, you're missing out. When I, Jackie and I first started attending Springville Road way back, uh, she was able to be part of a small group. I was not because I traveled all the time. I was gone a lot. And so finally, whenever my job changed and I was able to be home more, got involved in a small group, and I saw what she was talking about, how much she enjoyed it. The fellowship, getting to know people, is just wonderful. It's a great thing to have here uh, in our church family. Steve Bartlett and myself... We're going to be facilitating a Bible study or discussion in Bible doctrine. Using this little book as our kickoff, it says a survey of Bible doctrine. Don't let that scare you. Doctrine simply means teaching, if you didn't know that. Uh, so, but we will be facilitating a discussion in that. And there's a lot of information involved in it. It's a little short book, only has nine chapters. But there's probably 200 scripture references in it. So it, we won't cover every one of them. We won't ask you to read the book. We will just simply be using that as our kind of kickoff uh, place for uh, our discussions. There's topics such as what is God like? You know, is the Bible inspired? Jesus Christ, Lord, the Holy Spirit. One that I think is really relevant today, the world of angels. There's a lot of misinformation out there today about angels. I mean a ton. But what does the scripture say about angels? This may be a, a topic or a, a book that you might want to go through. Uh, if you're a new believer, I definitely recommend you go through it because it will give you some real foundation of some basic Bible doctrine or teaching. Perhaps you need a refresher. You're a seasoned one, Christian. You just need to be refreshed. Need to, oh yes, be reminded. That's what it's doing for me in my study. It's reminding me. Oh yeah, I do need to know that. 
Because as you go into the world and you face people in the world, they have all kind of ideas. And it will say, it will remind you of saying, wait a minute. Scripture says this about that particular subject. So don't hesitate to sign up. Oh, incidentally, I I wanted to say this too. uh, Talking to Pastor George a few weeks back about it. And uh, uh, if there's a particular subject, if we get on a particular subject and we really sense that there really needs to be more in-depth in it, we're not opposed to spending more time. We're not going to say, nope, we got to move on. We have nine sessions or ten sessions, and we're going to move on. We are going to be very open to spending more time on a particular subject that there are some real true interests and real true questions because there are some questions that come up uh, that I don't have the answer to and Steve won't have the answer to. So, you know, if there's more in-depth study that needs to be done, we don't object to wait a minute, let's slow down, let's take our time and go through it. Because, you know, if the Lord tarries, we'll have another session come springtime. So anyway, so don't don't feel like that we're going to just boom, boom, boom through it and, and you know, it's going to be like a 30,000-foot view and it's over. So if there's something that really is uh, needs the in-depth study, we'll do that. But don't hesitate to sign up for this class or one of the others that's available because I promise you, you won't be sorry. And this particular class will be meeting on Sunday evenings here at the church. So that answers that question. And I think, Becky, Jatan, you have something to say about something. (laughs) Well... (laughs) Basically, I'm Becky, but um, basically what uh, Phil said when we were having this discussion during the small group meeting, I, I told him, I said, you know, I've been in church all my life. I've learned a lot here so much, but there's so much I still don't know and still don't understand. I struggle a lot trying to separate the doctrine from legalism. And uh, through my experience in the going on mission trips and even learning to uh, witness here, you know, a lot I've learned and I can share, but I've also learned that it's be better equipped to know why I know what I know and what I'm sharing. And like Phil says, to be able to go and find the scriptures to back it up. So as it was said, being of a mature age, there's still a lot to be learned. And I uh, just want to share that with everybody that, you know, I'm looking forward to this to be able to learn more and have more of a solid understanding. So. Thank you, Becky, and thank you, Phil. Thank you, Steve. Good morning. This is one of my favorite uh, days when we're able to uh, dedicate uh, children to the Lord. Uh, It's a wonderful thing uh, because it's not just for the parents and the family. It's for all the church family because, uh, Lord willing, You'll be involved in their lives as well. In some capacity, uh, they may come to know you even on a first-name basis. You may have to throw a rope around them. Uh, You may have to um, sit down with them and explain the gospel to them. Wouldn't that be a privilege to be able to do that? And so 
It's just wonderful to be able to do that. And this morning, um, I'm going to ask that Michael and Shay Deck bring uh, Grayson Coldeck up and Harper Blair Deck and the family. If y'all could just come up here in front, uh, don't be bashful. And if you're visiting with us today, this is a great day for you to be here because it's an opportunity for you to see us interacting with our family. And uh, we are a family church for sure. Aren't these beautiful people? Even Norman, I mean, right? (laughs) We just, Norman just happened to work out like that. So, Um, you know, the Bible tells us that children are a gift from the Lord. Psalm 127.3 says that. Behold, children are a gift from the Lord. And um, the word behold is important because it means to look at it intently. And so we need to look at our children intently and thank the Lord for these wonderful gifts that he's given to us. Um, Aren't they just awesome? Now... I got to hold, I call her little pine cone, because whenever I went up to the hospital, I mean, she was like that big, it seemed like, and I just told Michael and Chess, she's like a little pine cone, so I just started calling her pine cone, and it's caught on. In fact, she was dressed a couple of weeks ago, I know y'all noticed, in a little pine cone outfit, and um, just beautiful, beautiful children. And uh, we wanted to get, dedicate these children to the Lord uh, this morning and uh, thank the Lord for his goodness. And uh, Michael and Shay, I want to challenge you as believers in Jesus Christ that you would bring up your children, as Paul says, in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Um, and that's hard to do. It really is. It's, it, it takes an army because you're responsible first, but then you've got family and you've got your church family that can walk beside you and help you with that. Uh, because if you just come on a Wednesday night, isn't Wednesday night a good illustration of the family being involved with, with children? And so uh, we just want to thank the Lord for these children. But want to pray for you, Michael, and you, Shay, as you bring up these children uh, in the Lord. And are thankful for the grandparents and the great-granddad. Look at that right there. They're going to help assist Michael and Shay, as they uh, have opportunity to hold these special gifts and to invest uh, their lives in these special gifts. It goes by so quick. I know you've heard that before, but it really, really does. I mean, I have a son that's 31 years old, and that's hard to believe because I look so young, and I just don't feel like (laughs) he should be 31, but he is. Uh, But it's such a blessing, and also I want to not only just challenge the parents and the grandparents and the great-grandparent, but I want to challenge us as a congregation to be involved in the lives of these children. Uh, it's very, very important that we are faithful in doing so. And so uh, I'm going to ask, and I know uh, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I am going to put you on the spot. If you're willing to take responsibility in helping the parents and the grandparents and great-grandparents assist and just... Come alongside of them. I'm going to ask you to stand as we um, have some prayer for them. And as you're doing that, 
I want to present the Bibles uh, that I have this morning. I need to make sure I get the right ones here. My wife writes in the Bibles, and that's so that you'll be able to read. Um, so this one is for Harper Blair. All right, for my little pine cone. So little Harper, that's for you, sweetie. All right. And this one here is for Grace and Cole. All right, Grayson, this is your little Bible. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Uh, that's pretty good. You know, I can say in all the years of baby dedication, I've never had a child say thank you for their Bible. Usually because they're about the size of pine cone. Well, you're welcome, buddy. All right. So uh, we want to take some time and, and pray this morning uh, for these children that the Lord would, um, that early in their life, they would come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior and walk with him. And Michael and Shay, as your pastor, I want to tell you that, that I love you. And that Miss Teresa loves you, and we're here to to help how we can. If you need babysitting, call her. Um, But we are here to help you guys and to walk beside you. And we're so proud of you guys and and proud for you, for your children. And so why don't we have a word of prayer and commit these guys to the Lord, all right? So, Father, we want to thank you this morning um, just for the gift of children We're thankful, Father, for Grayson and for Harper. And uh, my prayer, Lord, is that early in their life they would come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior and that they would live for him and that they would make a difference in the life that you give them. It's such a difficult world that we live in today, but, Father, we know that uh, we have the Helper, the Holy Spirit. So I pray that early in their life, they would come to know the Lord Jesus. Father, I want to pray this morning uh, for Michael and Shay and uh, the grandparents and, and for, for Norman. I just pray that, Father, you would um, just help them along the way as they bring these children up. And I pray for clarity from your word as to how they instruct their children. And I pray, Father, that As a congregation who loves these children and loves these parents and grandparents and great-grandparents, that you would help us to know when to be involved in their lives and that that Michael and Shay would know without a doubt that we are here to support them as they raise their children. Because as we raise children, there are so many surprises that happen. Uh, And many of them come at inopportune times, but we can say that you're always there for us. So I, I want to pray for Michael and Shay that you would undergird them and help them to walk in your ways, that when their children get to be older, they'll be able to look back and say, my dad and my mom love the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I just pray that uh, you would bless them. Thank you for this time this morning that we can have as a congregation, to be involved in this special time. And all these things we pray in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
Good morning. Let's all stand. The first song we're going to do this morning is sing together. Ask a it ask a question. And um, Jesus had a similar question uh, as he walked with his disciples. He had just multiplied uh, loaves of bread to feed thousands of people. And in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 17, it says this. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. We're going to start this morning with what child is this? Aren't you glad that if you're in Christ today, you've answered that question? You know who this child is. By the grace uh, that God has given us, we've, able, we've been able to comprehend that this Jesus is the son of the living God, and he's our Savior. And we agree with Acts 4.12, that there is salvation and no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Amen? Let's sing together. What child is this who lay to rest on Mary's lap sleeping? Whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch our keeping? This, this is Christ the King. Whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him, Lord, the babe, the son of Mary. So bring him incense, gold, and
shall pierce and through the cross be born for me, for you. Hail, hail the word made flesh, the babe, the son of Mary, the babe, the son of Mary. Sing about that great name this morning. song two weeks ago. It talks about the fact 
that the Lord Jesus knows us by name. He knows us. He knows us perfectly. Let's sing that together. sight to the blind I believe that the dead came to life I believe there were wonders and signs and you're still the same I believe every word that you say I believe there were scars in your hands that your goodness is good without end and you'll never change I will tell of your wonders sing of your grace the God of creation he knows me by name the Lord is faithful yesterday now and always always your mercy mighty age after age to all generations bow down and praise the Lord is faithful yesterday now and always always I believe you will come in the clouds I believe you are here even now in your presence and all the power, power to save. Oh, I will tell of your wonders and sing of your grace. The God of creation, he knows me by name. The Lord is faithful yesterday, now, and always, always. And your mercy is mighty after age to all generations will bow down and pray the Lord is faithful yesterday now and always always you work and you work and you are and you always will be you always will be God. Yes, you always will be God. I will tell of your wonders, sing of your grace. The God of creation, he knows me by name. The Lord is faithful yesterday, now, and always. After age to all generations will bow down and praise the Lord is faithful yesterday, now, and always. Always, you were, and you are, and you all.
mercy is mighty, age after age, to all generations, bow down and praise, the Lord is faithful, yesterday, now and always, amen, he's faithful, amen, you may be seated. Well, the Lord is faithful yesterday, and right now and always, we are thankful for that. This morning, I'm a little bit uh, fearful, but that's okay, because I've never really taught this, so um, I can tell you I've spent a lot of time on it, and uh, as if you know me, then you know I want to be accurate. But I'm going to deal with something this morning that I'm not quite sure that a lot have dealt with, um, and I want to say this right, but I believe accurately. You know, the title of my message this morning is, I Believe It Matters. I believe it matters that we get the Christmas story right. I believe that matters. I I believe every little detail is important. Um, I'm one of those that that says that um, it's worth investigating if you don't know it. And uh, Phil Hansen uh, earlier had mentioned the fact that there are times when um, you know we might not know something and it might require further investigation, and um, that's just part of studying the Bible. I mean, there are a lot of people that read the Bible, um, but I'm not quite certain how many really study the Bible. And it is a discipline. It's something that requires uh, a discipline and I think a desire to really get underneath the surface and to take a shovel when needed and to dig down as far as you need to go to figure it out. Now, when I get done this morning, some of you might say, with that, it really didn't matter. I don't know why in the world you would even teach this. And that'll be okay, too. Hopefully, you'll stay with me and not fall asleep. There is a passage of Scripture that I want to deal with, and specifically one verse in the passage that might give us some clarity as to what took place in Bethlehem. It's interesting that there's really only one verse that tells us about the birth of the Lord Jesus. It's chapter 2, verse 7 in the book of Luke. And so I want you to turn to Luke chapter 2. We want to read verses 1 through 6, but we really want to focus in on verse 7 and try to maybe clear up something that uh, really kind of troubles me in some, in some ways because um, there are times in our lives when, I'll illustrate it this way, there are times in our lives when something is said about us that is just not true. You ever had that happen? And you get wind of it and you're like, that's just not the truth. I mean, if someone out there was, you know, putting out word that Thad was six foot five, that's just not the truth. <laughs> Thad's not six foot five. I might be five foot six, but I'm not six foot five. Some things we just kind of let go, but there are some things that when it hits us, that's been said about us, it really troubles us because it's just not true. And I'm not sure that when we come to verse 7, what is said about the innkeeper by most people 
in traditional Christianity is just not true. And I hope to be able to present to you this morning an argument from the original text in terms of the words that are used to describe this person who is really never mentioned by name at all. In fact, he's not, there's no indication in chapter 2, verse 7, that there is an innkeeper. But if you go to a Christmas play, you're going to have the innkeeper. And he's going to be given a hard time because he just didn't find room for Joseph and Mary. And you have to understand there's a good number of people that use the innkeeper as one who missed out on Christmas. But I'm not so certain that that's the case. I'm just going to be honest with you because of the word studies that I did, and I thought, well, one thing for sure, we need to at least be careful in talking about this person who's not mentioned by name, nor is the term innkeeper even mentioned. It is assumed that there is an innkeeper. Now, I think there was a person, but I'm not quite certain he would have been called an innkeeper. Okay, so let's read verses uh, 1 through 6 together. Now, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And we're going to talk about in a few moments why this had to happen. It had to happen. Because it brought Joseph and Mary back to Bethlehem. Okay? And you're going to see why that's important. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David. In order to do what? Register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. And while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. Okay, so there's a lot there to consider, and I don't want to get sidetracked because there's a lot of little messages just in those verses. I will mention a few things as we go. But look at verse 7. And she, Mary, gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in clothes and laid him in a manger. Why? Because there was no room for them in the inn. So the first thing I want to do is just kind of give you a little bit better understanding of the term manger, just to kind of help us. That's not where we want to land the plane, so to speak, but I think it's important to discuss it. Tradition tells us that Jesus was born in a stable. A stable seems like the most likely place because the text says that Mary laid him where? In a manger. Or a feeding trough would be accurate to the word after he was born. We're also told in verse 12, as the shepherds were um, given the information about the Lord Jesus, it says, This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying where? In a manger. Okay? Well, what in the world's a manger? Glad you asked. 
The Greek word for manger is fonte. Strong's Dictionary defines manger as a stall. Okay, now this is important to keep in mind as we go through here. A manger, and this is a Bible dictionary, was a feeding trough for animals. During the first century, feeding troughs were made of stone. Now that's interesting because it would have been a place the Lord Jesus' head would have laid. He would have laid, Mary would have laid his head on a stone. You know, it's interesting if you go back to the Old Testament, in the line of the Lord Jesus, a man named Jacob in chapter 28 took a stone and placed it under his head. I find that to be interesting. You say, why that? Because I've been in Genesis all week. I've been reading Genesis, reading Genesis. I'm like, hey, that's pretty interesting. Jacob laid his head on a stone. Well, so did our Lord Jesus. Because um, the troughs were made of stone in those days. Um, It's likely that there were animals... And when you go to a play, you're going to have all kind of animals. I mean, you're going to have... There are people that have live nativity scenes. They have animals all over the place. But the Bible doesn't say there were animals there. Now, I'm not saying there weren't animals there. So please don't misunderstand me. You're not going to go home and like, Daddy, Pastor Thad said there weren't any animals there. I'm just saying the Bible doesn't tell us that. Okay? Um, But we do learn something when we study the word in, when we come to it, that might be helpful in that. The first question that I have for us is, where did they stay? Meaning Joseph and Mary. You said, well, they stayed um, in a stable. Well, I think the text is going to uh, certainly give to us the fact that they were in a stable. Now, I don't think that you and I need to assume a stable is like we think of today at all. A detached place for animals. Um, The manger would have actually been on the bottom level of a home. Okay? And you're going to see that as we study these words. The Gospel of Luke does tell us that before uh, the birth of Jesus, uh, before the birth of Jesus, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that mandated that all citizens return to their hometowns to register for a census. And one of the things, just in terms of um, layout, Bethlehem is about five miles to the south of Jerusalem. Okay? When you think about the birth of a king, you don't necessarily think about the king being born in Bethlehem. You think maybe a king should be born in Jerusalem, a much more prominent place, Because kings were born in prominent places, not in a stable and placed in a manger. Um, Why is it important to know this? Um, Well, there's two reasons, and I give them to you there. First of all, Joseph and Mary had to make what would have been a difficult journey. You remember, they're coming from Nazareth to Bethlehem. That would have been about 75 miles. That's a pretty decent... uh, uh, distance. Uh, I don't think they called Uber. Okay, I don't think that was available. Um, I don't think they had a BMW. Um, I don't think there was just a little private airplane they got on. They walked. Mary may have sat on an animal. We don't know. But it was a long way to go. It would have been an arduous journey. 
and she was ready to give birth. So we don't need to look, overlook what is said there in the beginning of Luke chapter 1. Um, that was a major effort that would have been required, especially on the part of Mary. Um, we know how births go when women are pregnant in the first few months and so, and you don't, they don't show, and then they start showing, and then, and then they even start at the end, start walking around like this, because they're carrying this baby. So we just know that Mary is carrying this child, the Christ child. And I don't think we need to overlook the fact that um, this would have been a very difficult journey for her. Second thing is the journey to Bethlehem was necessary. It was necessary in order to fulfill prophecy. Because 700 years earlier, approximately, a prophet named Micah prophesied about the birth of the Savior. Um, I really love this because Scripture just proves Scripture. Okay, this is one of the things that comes from this. In Micah chapter 5, here it is, Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it says, But as for you, Bethlehem Ephratah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to uh, be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. And that last phrase, those last phrasings are very important. Because what it tells us is that the second person of the Trinity existed in eternity past. Okay? I mean, he wasn't created, as some might want to say. He existed from the days of eternity, as are given to us here in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Now, let me just give you just some things to think about from that verse. The, the, the town Bethlehem, do you know what that means, the, the, the name Bethlehem? Yes, you do. It means house of bread. Do you know that? House of bread. What did Jesus say about himself in John chapter 6? I am the what? Bread of life. Oh. To me, this is like one of those little puzzles you get. Dot to dot. And you're just connecting the dots. It's like, whoa. But even further than that, what we find out is the, the, the name Ephratah um, appears in Genesis chapter 35. And that was the former name of Bethlehem. Did you know that? And that in Genesis 35, that word means fruitful. That's what the word means. And that it's set in Genesis 35. This is really awesome. So if you want to spend time after you eat that Milo's hamburger study, I would encourage you to do so. In Genesis 35, you have Jacob who's gone to Bethel, which means house of God. And between the house of God and the house of bread, right, you have this journey that's made by Jacob and Rachel and others. What do we know about Jacob and Rachel in Genesis 35? This is very interesting. That on their way from the house of God to the house of bread, Rachel delivers a child but does what? She dies. 
So it's interesting when you study Genesis, and this is all just extra stuff, but when you study Genesis 35, you come to understand that Bethlehem was back in Genesis 35, right? It just was under a different name. Name meaning fruitful. Did you know, and this is just some side information too, that when Rachel gave birth to Benjamin, she died, but she gave him the name Benoni. Do you know what the name Benoni means? It means son of sorrows. Well, if I remember right, in Isaiah 53, in reference to our Lord, he's called what? Man of sorrows. Oh, another dot to dot. And then, did you know that Jacob called him not Benoni, but Benjamin? And do you know what Benjamin means? Son of the right hand. Oh. Well, there would be one that sat on the right hand of God. Who is that? Jesus Christ. So when you go back and you start connecting the dots in Scripture, I mean, it's, to me, it's, just, it's more fun than the dot-to-dot puzzles. It's just a lot of fun. So you have this prophecy that needed to be fulfilled. And so that's part of the reason that Joseph and Mary end up in Bethlehem. That was all introduction. I want to talk about this morning the place of his birth. Where was he born? It's all wrapped up in a three-letter word called in. I-N-N. How many of you even care? I hope you care. Tradition says that this place was a boarding house for travelers. Most have assumed over the years that this inn had an innkeeper. But does the text say it has an innkeeper? Answer? No. The next time you go to a Christmas play, you're going to see what? An innkeeper. Now, I'm not saying there wasn't anybody there to greet Joseph and Mary. But my thought through studying of these Greek terms, is that they went to a home. Likely the home of a relative of Joseph. And likely that home was filled. And I'll talk a little bit more about that. Why Joseph and Mary would have likely ended up on the lower level of the home. But tradition says, well, there's an inn, so there's an innkeeper. So my question is, what can we tell from the text? You know, what is true, right? Because somebody would have likely greeted them. So all these centuries, this poor innkeeper is who? And people have even taught, I've read the series. The innkeeper missed Christmas. I'm not so certain the innkeeper did miss Christmas. Because the innkeeper would have been in the home, all right, because I believe he's talking about a home here, a guest room. Let's look at the definition so this may help us. There are two Greek words that might help us to understand better. And I'm just presenting this to you. If at the end of the day you're like, Thad, there was an innkeeper. This was a traditional inn where people paid and so forth. Okay. You know, we can still break bread together and eat Milo's and whatever you want to do. 
But here are the terms that we have presented to us in the scriptures. The Greek word for in here in Luke 2 is kataluma. Okay? Kataluma. This is how Strong's Dictionary defines that. Kataluma refers to a guest chamber or a guest room within a home. Cataluma would not have referred to a paid accommodations. It's a different term, and we're going to see that in a minute because it's illustrated, believe it or not, in the very same book. And my thought is Luke seemed to be a detailed doctor. And you're going to see in just a few moments the word that's used in chapter 10. Um, a couple things here that I wanted to just point out by way of, I, just, I put important notes. The Bible does not say that Joseph and Mary were turned away. Does it say that? Doesn't say that. So this poor innkeeper, by a lot of people who teach and who do play, say, well, this guy just turned them away. Is that what the Bible says? The Bible doesn't say that. Um, far too many have assumed this to be the case. That's my opinion. And you know what they say about opinions. Um, they were given shelter, I agree. But I don't believe it was paid shelter like some do. The Bible does not refer to an innkeeper, innkeeper although many have assumed this to be the case. If anything, I put in my notes, based on the Greek word, there was likely a family member who introduced himself to Joseph and Mary and interacted with them. Okay, so it's very important before we leave this page that the word, the Greek term kataluma refers to a guest chamber or a guest room. Okay, arguing for the point that this is not a paid place. Okay, that we're talking about here. This is not the only area that Cataluma occurs. It occurs in Luke chapter 22, verses 8 through 12. Okay, in a different context. This context is in the upper room when Jesus was with his disciples before the betrayal of the cross. So if I can say Jesus' birth was in the lower room, okay, lower chamber. Later on in his ministry, he's with the disciples in the upper chamber where people lived. I'm going to show you pictures of that in just a moment. So as we read this, it says, Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us so that we may eat it. They said to him, where do you want us to prepare it? And he said to them, when you have entered the city... A man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house that he enters. And you shall say to the owners of the house, Where is the guest room? Same word as used in Luke chapter 2. In which I may eat the Passover with my disciples. So we're talking about a room. And he will show you a large furnace upper room. So there's a description of the Cataluma at the end of this section. Okay? This is where, in context, um, Jesus was um, betrayed. 
by Judas. Okay, this is right before uh, the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's another um, reference, it's the same context, but in Mark chapter 14, verse 14, it says, And whenever he enters, say to the owner of the house, the teacher says, Where is my guest room? Same word. Same word that's in Luke 22. Same word that's in Luke 2. Okay, I'm just trying to help you to think through that because I had to think through this for a long time. So you're only having just like a fire hydrant approach to this, okay? He says, where is my guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Cataluma, same term. And that describes a place within the framework of a home or a house. So I thought by this point, I need to show you some pictures of what a first century home would have looked like Bethlehem is a very small place, not so much now, it's got over 28,000 people in it, but back in the, the day of the Lord there, when he was born, it would have had it ranges, there's a, arguments from 500 people to two, up to 2,000 people, just not very many. I've been to Bethlehem, uh, it, it pales in comparison to Jerusalem, it's a very small village, okay, that's how we would think of it. Teresa and I lived in a village in New York, I didn't even know what a village was. You know, um, I, I had a lot of different thoughts about a village. I wasn't necessarily thinking about a, a group of people. But we lived in the town of Green in New York. In the town of Green, there were 5,000 people. But in the village, which was, I called the hub or the center of that town, there were 2,500 people. And did you know that in that little village of Green, there were 17 restaurants? Praise the Lord. And of the 17 restaurants, over 10 of them were Italian restaurants. It was, I was introduced to a calzone in New York State in 1991. Have you ever had a calzone? If you have not, pray about it. The Lord will lead you to that. I'm not quite sure where you can get a good one down here. But a bunch of those restaurants up there were Italian. But that was... The context of a village, that's the first time I was really introduced to it. But I really was when I went in 94 as well to the Holy Land because Jerusalem is just such a vast place. And when you compare it to Bethlehem, Bethlehem is a very small place. And yet I would encourage you, might I encourage you, that you would take your strong concordance over 40 times in the Old Testament Bethlehem appears. Only eight times in the New Testament. But when you study those 40 times in the Old Testament, you're like, whoa, dot to dot to dot to dot. Guys, we serve a God of order. Okay? None of this is out of order. Some of it's hard to understand. I get that. But it's in order. And so the Bible tells us that in Luke 22 and Mark 14... The term there is Cataluma, the same one that's used. So this is what a first century home, I know it's kind of a, an image. All you got to do is go to Google. That's one image you're going to run into. I thought it was kind of cool looking. The kids would like that. So on the bottom level, there would have been what we would call a place for the animals. A lot of times those places for the animals, um, they were, the animals were put there uh, when there was inclement weather. Okay, a place that they could go. There was a feeding area down there, okay? And so 
the, uh, in the lower level, which that's the argument I'm going to make, that that's where Jesus was born. He was born in the lower level, okay? Say, Thad, no, no, no. Well, he, I believe he was. Because it makes sense. And what does it say that Mary did after he was born? Put him in a manger, a feeding trough. So where was she? I believe she was in the lower level of a home in the first century that would have looked something uh, like this. The upper room is the place where the family would do their eating, okay, kitchen, and, and a place to sleep, okay? And there's a lot of different ones. You might even see some that were three-story and such. This is another one. Can you see that? Say yes or no or fly kite or something. Okay, so on the bottom level, you can see there, okay, exactly what that would have looked like. And on the upper level is where they did their living, Okay, so this may help us to understand a little better what's written in Luke chapter 2, verse 7. Might it? Might. Uh, it might help us a lot, actually, to think through where our Lord Jesus was uh, born and placed. All right, so that's Cataluma. Um, now we want to look at another Greek word that's used for in in the New Testament. And it's set in the context of the parable of the Good Samaritan, okay? So, look at what's here, all right? In, the word in is also used. However, it's a different Greek word, but it's in the same book. So, I go, okay, hold on a second. Was Luke confused? I don't think so at all. In fact, what we have recorded here for us in Luke chapter 10, he's very precise as to what took place. The Greek word for in is pandokion, and it occurs here in Luke 10, 34. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion and came to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast or animal and brought him to an what? An inn. Huh. So he brought him to an end, and the Bible says, and took care of him. If you go on to read in Luke chapter 10, I probably should do that. So if you have your Bibles and you want to look over there, Luke chapter 10. I thought I'd put this for you on PowerPoint. I did, okay. But you can still turn there. All right, so here we have a different term that's used uh, for in. Um, notice that Greek word refers to a public lodging place. Oh, well, could that be different from Luke chapter 2? It sure could. It could be pretty different in terms of Joseph may have, and I emphasize may have, Joseph and Mary may have shown up at a relative's home. That's why there's no mention of an innkeeper. They're showing up to relatives. Okay? But in Luke chapter 10, this is something completely different. This is a public lodging place. And then also, we're not only told about that, but in Luke 10 verse 35, we're told about an innkeeper. Does that make sense? So, Luke chapter 2, no innkeeper. Luke chapter 10, innkeeper. You see, you see what I'm doing here? Like, you might just have to have some swallow time for this. 
and I understand that. And I still have to have more swallow time because there's a lot to consider here. But in verse 35, the Greek word for host is defined as an innkeeper, okay? One who watched over the inn. And verse 35 says, on the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Someone who was over the what? The inn. And said, take care of him and whatever more you spend when I return, I will repay you. Okay, so what do we do with all that? What do we do with it? Well, we're just going to keep having the play. We're going to have the innkeeper. We're going to have his inn and forget all this. Or do we say, hey, you know what? This is something to consider. I would ask you for a response. Is it something to consider? Answer, yeah, I think it is. And you will run across series where a pastor or a teacher has entitled a a message called Missing Christmas, and they'll include the innkeeper in that from Luke 2. And I'm just saying, I'm not so certain that that was the case. Because if it is true that they showed up to a relative's home, and in the upper chamber was the guest house, there may have been what up there? Family. Correct? Um, So they would have had the option then to put Joseph and Mary in the lower level, which makes sense based on the way the homes were set up then. Um, All right. I already told you all that stuff. Um, We do know this in studying Luke 2. We do know that the text infers that Joseph and Mary did not stay in the upper room. We do know that. Okay? But it seems very likely that they indeed stayed in the lower room with the animals that aren't even mentioned. If there were any at all, and then after his birth, Jesus was laid in a stone manger. So as I'm working through this, I'm like, okay, I've got questions myself. Right? And you're going to answer those because you guys are brilliant people. Um, why were they not given access to the upper room? You can say, well, there was family up there. Yeah, but we have a condition here. What do you do with one who's pregnant? Ladies, when you were pregnant, you wanted to be what? Pampered. Right? You're first. And you're first every day and all the time. Well... The reality is that Mary is very pregnant, about to give birth. So we don't know why they weren't given access. Could it be that they weren't given access and they were put on the lower level because of shame? Possible for the family? One who was betrothed but not married. Is that possible? Just, it is possible. Um, if it was family that was staying there, would they have, what would they have thought of Mary's pregnancy? Scandalous. That's a pretty good term. By the way, um, when you read the scriptures, um, these folks were hospitable. So that would have been a very big deal. For Mary to show up pregnant, how many knew that that was even the case? 
did they not know that she was pregnant? Or did they know? And they even knew that she was pregnant with the Son of God. Did they know that? Um, other questions. Why do people assume there was an innkeeper? No one is mentioned by name. Is it possible that whatever conversation took place between Joseph and Mary and the one responsible for the home, that that one responsible for the home provided the very best that they thought they could provide? Is that possible? It's possible. Well, you may leave with more questions you have answers to, and that's all right. That just means you're going to study. So what do we know? What do we know? Well, we know that Joseph and Mary traveled from Nazareth to Bethlehem. We know that they were brought back because of a census. And who was over all that? Who orchestrated all that? Joseph? Mary? No, the Lord did. Okay, the Lord did. Um, what do we know? We know that she was close to giving birth somewhat. We know that she did give birth and that she wrapped him in clothes and she laid him in a manger because it says that twice. I want to end with this. What we do know. Look at verse 8. In the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields, verse 8, and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. Do you know what it means that they were terribly frightened? They were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, don't be fearful, for behold, I bring you good news of what? Great joy. You know, I was thinking about this verse this week, and I thought, you know, I wonder if we just know that verse so well that it's not really hit us, maybe, anymore like it should. That's what happens with verses we know. But the angel said to these shepherds, don't be afraid, I bring you good news of great joy which will be for some of the people. Is that what it says? Is that what it says? For all the people. Oh. Even that poor little rascal innkeeper that really might not even exist. Him? Did Jesus come for him? Answer? Yes. Uh, but now what about Herod? Jesus come for Herod? Answer? Yes. What does all mean? All. You say, but look at Matthew 2. I mean, there was a massacre. There was. How many times in your life have you thought, Lord, I don't know if you can forgive me for this. Aren't you glad his ways aren't our ways? And he's not like us. And he forgives how many people have been saved that have committed murder? Some would look at that and go, that's just not fair. Well, who decides fair? 
So the angel brings to them good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a what? A Savior. Well, if the Savior is born, what does that imply? People need saving. Who is this Savior? Christ the Lord. Well, I wasn't there, and you weren't there. But I hope that you will walk away today, and you'll go, you know what? I might need to refresh myself a little bit more on what takes place around the birth of the Lord, and even after. Because, you know, a lot of people put the wise men right by that nativity scene. Might I say, if your nativity scene is in your living room, put the wise men in the kitchen. (laughs) They're going to get there eventually. But we know it was different, don't we, if we just study the Word. And, oh, there were only three of them. Well, how do we know that? We don't know that. There were three what? Gifts. Look, guys, this week when I was praying through, and Teresa will tell you, I I was just struggling there's so much I'm like all right lord this is what you want me to give and he's like yep that's what i want you to give so i don't know what you're going to walk away with i have no idea how you're going to apply this to your life but i believe there's application and i think one of the main ones is this let's all be like the bereans and be examiners of the word of god to the glory of god is that all right Let's have a word of prayer. Well, Lord, I just want to thank you for the opportunity to be able to stand up here today and to share the things that you uh, helped me to prepare and study. Father, I always want to represent you well and understand I'm human and that I have many flaws. And um, Lord, um, I just want to pray that you would help us to, to be better students of your word. I look at this text and I'm like, wow, (laughs) if there was an innkeeper, this poor guy, he's been beat up a lot for a lot, a lot of years. And and yet, that baby would have been born right underneath him. And last time I remembered, babies cry. So I'm not sure what went on, but I know this, Christ the Lord was born. And so I just pray that you would help us to be um, joyful over that news, that it would not get old, that Jesus Christ the Lord has been born for us, and that Jesus Christ the Lord went to the cross at Calvary after being in the upper chamber and being denied, betrayed by Judas, and being taken to the cross, and dying for all of our sins. We just want to pause and thank you, Father, that your Son, Jesus Christ, paid it all, and all to him we owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. We can't begin to comprehend for one moment how... The righteousness of Christ has covered those of us who believe. 
but we can say because your word says it does, it has. And I pray that we would live as people who have a really wonderful story to tell about our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And I pray that this season, that we wouldn't be wrapped up so much in the commercialism of Christmas that we miss out on the most important verses that you would have for us to consider. And so I pray that you would guide us and lead us as we leave today. And may you be glorified and honored in all that we say and all that we do in the name of Christ. Amen. A couple of announcements and then I'll let you go to Milo's. Um, number one, I wanted to announce that in the month of January there will be a New to Grace uh, class for those of you who maybe have been visiting and um, are interested in, in knowing more information about grace. We'd love to be able to uh, have time with you. And so if you'll just look for that um, after the first of the year. also wanted to make mention of um, the Christmas and New Year schedule. We will not have Sunday school on Christmas Day or on New Year's Day, but we will have church at 1030 both of those days. And so make sure that you kind of mark that out. also want to make mention of one more thing. There will be baptism in the month of January, the last Sunday of the month. And so if you are one who has not been baptized but would like to be baptized, I would love to talk with you about that. Great to see you today. Introduce yourself to somebody you don't know as you leave. Have a wonderful week.